right, we are back. Of course, this is Sean, and I am back with Terrence from Trillbillies. What's up, man? Not a lot. Uh, Things still feel- reeling. Do it. St- still reeling for what? still reeling from a, a very invigorating discussion like i said I, I learned some things in fact yeah yeah i mean i it, it's very helpful to to talk these things out i mean i always have some vague idea of what i'm going to say but yeah you know i think yeah. we uh we at least came to perhaps uh the structural reasons for why things are so fucky right now maybe as a way of transitioning see what i'm doing here we can talk about the specifics of that fuckery of the way that American politics, uh, which is of course the expression of all these grand forces we've been talking about or a expression anyways, uh, has been affected by the last two to 13 years or so. Certainly um, since Trump, there's been kind of right, a change within the, the right, uh, the, the conservative right in this country. And I think we're starting to see it maybe slowly cohere into something. It feels like it feels very much like there are some very powerful people trying to shape the right into. I don't know. We were talking about this on the show the other day because <clears throat> we talked about this Vanity Fair article about about Peter Till. And then you sent me this other article that I had not read yet. It was in BuzzFeed. It was about what is it? The New People's Cinema the new people cinema club is that what it is yeah it was uh it was uh variously like uh a movie like an, a film center in miami and then mem- like a alt-right adjacent one i guess you'd call it that then became a film festival um yeah last year it, it weirdly enough like the the institute was associated with that one movie that won a bunch of oscars a few years ago it was like moon light or something not was it moonlight yeah, I think I think that's what it was. Yeah, it was. It was. I I didn't see it, but it was kind of like, I don't know. I've, it, sometimes they get it mixed up with Moonstruck, which is an excellent movie. That's with that's Cher. a much probably different movie <laughs> with Cher and um, what's his? Was it Michael Keaton? No, it's Nick Cage. Nick Cage, right? Totally, oh. also totally different person. <laughs> I love that movie. That's a good movie. Um, I'm not sure that I've seen that since I was like a kid. It's really good. The, the BuzzFeed article is called um, look at what you're doing with look at what we're doing with your money. You dick. How Peter Thiel backed an anti-woke <laughs> film festival by Joseph Bernstein in BuzzFeed news. Uh-huh. And then the other one, of course, that we're going to talk around is um, inside the new right where Peter Thiel is placing his biggest bets by James Pogue. Um, so so I, I don't know how you feel about these articles. I will say, again, laid my cards on the table. We had James on our show about two years ago, and I really liked him. We had a good time, and I thought he was uh, really insightful. I mean, because, you know, you meet a lot of people, and they they write about, like, rural stuff, or they write about the right. Like, you got to meet him to, like, you know, know what they're about. And I feel like he's legit. I Like, I vouch for him, and I thought that this was a good written article. I thought... To me personally, I saw people online like, I don't see the point. Like, why would you platform these people? I don't understand. I was like, well, I mean, it's significant if you're any kind of radical in this country to know like what the right is doing. I mean, especially if they're being funded by a guy like Peter Till. Like, obviously, 
Yeah, we know like QAnon stuff. We know like Trump and everything. But I thought that this was interesting because this kind of laid bare a component of the sort of larger machinery or infrastructure of the right in a way that I hadn't really thought about or or seen before. Because, right. um, you know, it goes from everywhere, from like J.D. Vance to that Blake Masters guy running. And I think Arizona is where he might be running. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um and, and then the sort of like hipster vanguard intellectual cadre of posters at this <laughs> national conservatism conference in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then to people like Mencius Moldbug, too, who's somehow turned into sort of a court intellectual through his blogging and his relationship with Peter Thiel. So you're right. It takes you kind of into this world, into it, it through this world. Yeah. I mean, in it, and as we, I think we talked a little bit about, on the show the past week but i think as we pointed out it showed that a lot of people on the right have come to the conclusion that the only way through this crisis that we all sort of acknowledge that no one is really able to name there's no consensus on what the crisis is it's just everyone has their own version of it and we all operate on that just you know microscopic like you know lived experience type version of it um and uh and i don't know this this i don't know it was just that interesting there there's like so i like to maybe fool myself into i certainly like to feel like um people like us who want to look at it systemically who want to look at it in terms of class uh look at it in terms of capital accumulation and its limits look at it in terms that we were talking about in the main episode of course about you know capitalist hegemonic uh, power. I feel like we have maybe the, the most holistic explanation for these things, right? Because of the way that we understand the economy, not as like a thing that the president does, you know, <clears throat> right. when we see prices go up, yeah. we're not like, oh, well, Biden did that. Or when Trump comes in and unemployment's down at 4%, we're like, damn, that, that president did real good. I like to think that we flatter ourselves by thinking or at least we're we're correct in flattering ourselves into thinking that this sort of materialist analysis is correct about things but you're totally right i mean that's what's one of the things that's interesting about this piece is to look and see how people on literally the other side of politics are also trying to grapple with and confront and pose solutions for uh, this sort of uh, generalized crisis that's not, of course, solely economic. It's a crisis of society. It's a crisis of politics. It is a crisis of culture, too. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a crisis of ideology. You know, they're coming at this from, I think, a blinkered and myopic perspective. And I, I fundamentally think that uh, their analysis of the world, uh, seeing this as like a, a a class war between the laptop class and of, of PMC woke tards on yeah. the one hand versus um, like the good producers of, of the heartland and the good Christian conservatives is that uh, is a very distorted, like quasi critique of class society. But I, I think that all of us, or at least I, anyways, I think you too can appreciate a sort of piece like uh, James Pogue wrote because it helps you understand how, you know, other people are trying to grapple with these same things. And I also like to think of these people's reaction and their and their politics rising like imminently from the contradictions of our society. Yeah. So when they, 
you know, what, what is this reaction? What is that? What are these teal bucks going towards? What was Trump? What was uh, the alt-right? What is now national conservatism? To me, historically, it seems like a sort of progression away from uh, the sort of um, the dual ideologies of conservatism and republicanism that kind of rested uneasily with each other for decades, which is a sort of free market libertarianism on the one hand, uh, and also on the other hand, like a family values, uh, Christian conservatism on the other. And as you and I know, as, as the listeners know, you know, the one is in contradiction with the other, because right. of course, capital is this acid that melts away the, the family that the, right. the family arose historically and now is declining um, historically. But with the breakdown of that now, and Trump is the real signal for this, I think now people who have who want to protect the family, people who want to protect America, qua America, people who want to see a strong place in the world for U.S. power and also continue to see America dominate. They think that's that stuff's all good, are now uh, formulating a new way to be conservative in this country. And I think that's it's interesting for us to look at. Yeah, I think. um Yes. Like I was like the crisis, like they all kind of assume that there is one and they're sort of all coming to the conclusion that maybe the only way through it is with some sort of despotic, enlightened leader. It's 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 kind of interesting. I feel like this is obviously that's cringe and it's lazy and it's like it probably intended to be edgy somewhat, too. Yeah. Um, But. I guess it does kind of have an internal consistency to it now with this vanguard intellectual class that is uh, spouting it Um, because like Nazism was also kind of born out of an intellectual, I mean like Mussolini or not, not Nazis, but fascism anyways, like Mussolini was like on the left. He was like an intellectual, you know? And I feel like um, we in a, in a class I feel it's very interesting when the intellectual classes of a society start asking the question of what happens when you overthrow the government and how Mm -hmm. would we do that? Mm -hmm. And like you don't see really the right wingers talking about or you don't see anybody talking. You didn't see them talking about that up until very recently. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, there was January 6th and everything. Um, But like you and I, you mentioned this earlier, we're kind of the same age. Like we went... I think we are of a generation that went through the United States American college experience during these very interesting world events like 9-11, the 2008 recession, you know, the election of Obama and everything. Um, and that was kind of like a pressure cooker <laughs> on on a specific sort of outlook on the world and also like climate change and everything else that was happening at the time. Um, that we were just starting to come to terms with, like, you know, this created a sort of intellectual class. Some of those people went off and they, you know, matriculated into the Bernie thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, some of them were probably maybe like us, maybe uh, had kind of like just been around those sort of social movements for a long time, never really congealed into the Bernie thing mm-hmm. or sort of formally, but, you know, supported it and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, but then like there's another group of people and they went off to the right and maybe some of them went off to the far left or maybe they were ultra left. Or maybe they were just like disillusioned, uh, a disaffected Bernie bros from online who like got 
disaffected from discourse or something like that. These people kind of joined up <laughs> after they all went through these various years of, you know, posting, you know, maybe doing the identity Europa thing, maybe mm. doing the traditionalist workers party thing. And they've kind of linked up with the disaffected leftists, the post left or whatever. And they've now kind of de- started to develop this worldview that like Tucker Carlson is right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we need to have extremely exclusionary and oppressive social values. But like our economic policies, like you said, these were like compact mag and everything now, like they're talking yeah. about like what I'm trying to say here is that there is there are now several intellectual classes in this country that a really, really, really want the working class to like them and b <laughs> are now starting to think about overthrowing the government. Yes. And that's kind of interesting. To me. <laughs> it's, 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 it's extremely interesting. I think it should be interesting to all of us because you're right, like. You know, the we should be sure always to to put the intellectuals in their place. And I suppose for our purposes, we could put you and me in there. Um, the how do I put this? There, there's there are these certain segments that you're talking about that that have the ability and the or feel the need um, to like to formulate a, a critique, maybe a critique that's like inchoate and information, but one that they feel is um, representative of the interests of the masses. Uh And it's since 2008, and you could even see this, I think, in the Tea Party in a a weird way, as as things sort of developed after that, you could see class coming back into the vocabulary of the United States. And in this uh, article, J.D. Vance says class warfare is culture. And he says culture war is class warfare. I thought that was a fascinating statement. It's 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 I think at the heart of of what their critique is. Right. Right. Because like so. So we, we I think putting them in their place, maybe putting us in our place. Right. Is to say that, like. In America, I I have this new fun saying where I I say that America is the dictatorship of the of the high bourgeoisie, the haute bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. But it's a democracy for the middle class. And I mean, middle class in a sociological sense. But then for like the majority of people, the people who don't vote in like off elections or whatever, 60 percent of of the Americans uh, who are completely depoliticized, it 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 looks like a clown world. It looks like, <laughs> like, why would you ever trust any of these people rightfully, right? Uh-huh. How could anything possibly ever change for me? Uh, and so it appears despite, and I think this is maybe where we can break out of this, despite some real serious instances of labor revolt recently, certainly an insurrection that we saw like a year and a half ago. Uh, I'd even put partially January 6th in there as like a moment of of, uh, of of insurrectionary fear, despite things happening on a sort of more granular, less big P political. It appears as though 60% of the population is politically inert. Uh-huh. And so there's, there's a battle now among people broadly, you know, you call them intellectuals, maybe call them like a middle-class vanguard or whatever, um, to try and tap into this discontent, to try to like, not just theorize about the world, but as Trump did, uh, attempt to mobilize people, uh, the people of a nation under a populist program um, that claims to uh, attempt to anyways, not just ameliorate, but activate 
people on a level that uh, we haven't seen in a very, very long time. So I guess what I'm saying is that the intellectuals we're talking about in these articles, they're important to try to understand the way that conservatism is changing. And as you said, the way that the kind of uh, ideological props to like uh, this, this whole um, hegemonic world that we've been living in have been kind of been falling away recently. But we also should step back and put into perspective too, that these are people who are like kind of on the outside looking in at the working class and trying to formulate a sort of critique at a politics that can then hopefully apply to them. Oh yeah. Well, the thing right. is, absolutely. The thing is, is um, just as with Bernie, as it is with these people and just with the left broadly, just broadly speaking, the vast majority of people in these sort of political groupings. And I mean, like the people who outwardly, you know, proclaim themselves to be that, or, and maybe they are, they participate in some way either through media or political agitation or something like that i think the vast majority of them are college educated mm -hmm. and when you're college educated i mean like, we, we don't really talk en enough about like the role that college has in fragmentation of class experience or in, in a kind of like rebuilding of it too mm. and like in community college here in the town that i live the specific role that community college has here is like disorganizing the working class it's it's essentially that is its role in the political economy of my community and like i think uprooting that, people from their sort of community bonds and then like producing office workers and then spitting them out and, and is and that what you like, mean exactly well and also specializing uh their uh, specific skill sets and making it competitive making mm. them competitive with each other within those like learning environments. Um, I think that, that that obviously when working people go to the community college or when they go to act, you know, like four year, either state college or private college, like they're, they're going to, you're going to get some of that. But a lot of these, I don't really know. I would say the vast majority of ed college educated people are probably middle-class. That's just what it seems to me to be mm. right. But I don't know if that's statistically true. It just, what is one of those things that feels correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like another, another theory that these people have, and I'm not sure this was explicit in the vanity fair. I keep wanting to say Vogue magazine. It's not Vogue. God damn. It's not the fashion magazine. It would be a, 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 a way more fascinating article. <laughs> if it was fashion of the national conservatism. Um, no, I, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, we were talking about um, college. Oh, uh, college, yeah. So, so kind of implicit, I think, in that was the, this theory of elite overproduction. Um, yeah, and and certainly they talked about the laptop class. That's you know, there's an attempt. A, right, right. Yeah, because because like I what that what that theory is, and I believe it's Michael Lind. Were they talking about it in one of these articles? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they, you're right. I can't remember which one. Yeah. I think you're right. It's probably the one about the film fest because yeah, the film fest was kind of more into it. It did kind of get into their sort of like critique of art and um, yeah. And, and wokeness. Yeah. And, right, and right. culture and stuff. Like, they see it all as bourgeois. I mean, it's there, there's like, so like the, they're, they're internally consistent sort of like class theory that they have is tied into this overproduction of elites is basically that like you produced as you said when community college and four-year colleges you've created this like um basically millions upon millions of office managers 
who now like can't get a job. So because they can't like manage and uh, dominate the working class, now they have to, and I hope I'm doing justice to it because people should know about this. This is what they believe. Um, now unable to do that uh, and, and gain materially economically uh, from their degrees and from the sort of quote unquote cultural capital that they have, they now enter like shitty jobs at NGOs or they go on twitter.com yeah. to like, stake out a moral position online to like drown people in wokeness to cancel the workers or whatever the fuck they would say it is uh as a kind of um a vindication of their particular status as like elites who couldn't get into the actual elite itself yeah so that's yeah. where this this pmc slash like overproduction of elites thing ties into the culture war thing exactly like you said when vance goes that what is it that the culture war is a class war or class yeah. war is the yeah. culture war or whatever they truly believe that because there's this sort of like um yeah they think that that woke culture is uh is the way that you like um incorporate everybody into this uh tyrannizing discourse uh and discipline the working class in order to like for managers to gain power lap people yeah. that sit at home with laptops they tie the pandemic into that too they're like all the people that sat at home with their you know could stay at home office jobs or whatever while essential workers went out and faced the elements had to wear masks or whatever i mean there's there are these examples they bring up that you're like okay this you know i see yeah. where you're going with this yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I understand what you mean sociologically there are parts of it that are correct but as the class analysis and understanding power, I think it completely falls on its face. It's interesting, like you said, all these people thinking about overthrowing the government, this like strong sort of like authoritarian tendency arising within the right, away from the sort of flag pumping shit that we saw through like the 90s and the 2000s yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting to see that. But it's also interesting to, to see, too, um, all these different groups grasping towards some sort of class theory to understand things, whereas class was verboten 20 years ago. You're absolutely right. They're, because they themselves have had a probably a experience of class consciousness in the last eight, five to 10 years. I mean, honestly, that's really what a lot of this is. Uh, a lot of them realized, holy shit, I grew up like middle class, like the, the son of like a doctor a and a lawyer. A doctor. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, I mean, like they're kind, that's why it's, I don't know if, if I should take it seriously or not. It's kind of like we're flipping off the bourgeoisie. We're fucking <laughs> radical, man. Like, so I don't know whether to take it seriously, seriously or not, but I will say that like a lot of these people, and again, I'm not trying to hate on anybody. But like what the Bernie thing was, was a group of people who all went to college around the same time. I socioeconomically should have been probably would have been one of these people, but who got into politics in college on one of two issues, Palestine and Israel or the environment like that. Those mm. are the those. I feel like those are the kind of there was a lot of environmentalists in the Bernie thing. Yeah. And it kind of felt like their worldview was sort of motivated by this impending environmental crisis. Well, now they've passed off the stage. It seems pretty much like that's over. People keep trying to bring it back like 2024, Bernie, let's run again. Yeah, I know. I heard he might run again. Well, I don't want give it. it up, bro. Just let it die, dude. Yeah. Just let it go, man. I so can't like, live through that again. Right. Those people had their sort of like go at it and it didn't work. And so now I kind of feel like these other people might. The larger point I'm trying to work towards here, though, is that all of these people, they they uh, 
they have a conception of the world and of politics and of their role in it. It's all determined by their college experience. Mm. A lot of their ideology, like a, a lot of their sort of ideological conception of the world is all determined by the fact that they arrived at those conclusions abstractly. Just like mm. oh, that's that seems right. Like, oh, I guess I we need a monarch. Sure. Like they, this is all by pure reason. None mm. of these people derive their political worldview from actual struggle. This never oh. this never like derived from any sort of like, you know, class conflict or struggle. This was all entirely. For sure. I mean, let's let's talk about Mencius Moldbug then, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've been hearing about him. You know, he, he 2007 to 2014, he had a blog. He is the theorist of uh, this idea of the castle, which is basically what I was saying, this sort of like woke cathedral. I say castle, this woke cathedral where there's like the high priests of cancel culture and wokeness or whatever. And they're like oppressing the conservative majority or whatever, and that it has to be destroyed and brought down. Who is Curtis Yervin? You know, mentioned in this article, who is he? Yeah. He's a very successful uh, computer programmer. He's on Tucker now. Valley. He's on Tucker now. Yeah. A and, lot. He, and he came up, of course, not through struggle. He came up in this like heady milieu of early 21st century kind of California, like Bay Area, California ideology where like, it was this weird mix of libertarianism, but also like military industrial complex. Right. And there was a sort of social bent to it, but it was also like this growing sort of reactionary hatred of the masses or whatever. Right. So they're like chief prophet, the guy standing there, you know, outside the cathedral pointing at it is not somebody that came to that through struggle. He's somebody, as you said, disillusioned and kind of does like a, a um, yeah, like an abstract outside critique of this of this world that he finds, frankly, disgusting. Uh -huh. um, and now, as you said, he's very mainstreamed uh, and he's become their core philosopher alongside a bunch of people like we usually don't say their name on this podcast. But Red Scare has also ended up as this sort of aesthetic anti-liberal touchstone for these sorts of people. Right. And it's, also, mo it's motivated very much by hatred of liberalism. Like it they, is, yeah. They, it's it's like a weird complex in a way. It's like an anxiety or something. I I don't. I mean, I I understand it because yeah, just like you, like I probably have a lot of critiques of liberals and the institutions that they're in and everything. But like, I guess my politics is ultimately was never really a triangulation between what they thought and what I. Yeah, it's a it's a it's very. It, like not, I don't want to sound obscure here, but it's it's very much like a negative critique, right? Yeah. It's about what they don't want, and it's about uh, liberalism and the the hegemony of it, and so the their reaction to it, and you see this in Compact Mag, you see uh, Sorab Amari, who started off as a uh, neoliberal, um, writing, he was the editor of the New York Post has now reached back into the depths of the 20th century to grab towards something that looks like Catholic integralism, you know, like church <laughs> social doctrine from the encyclicum of, of 19 right. of 1890 something in order to try to come up uh, with a solution to this crisis, you know, trying to find some sort of positive element to the political program. And that's, I think you put your finger on something really important about this, which is that, Anti-liberalism is at the center of it, whether it's Red Scare, whether it's uh, Mencius Moldbug, whether it's uh, 
the guy who's becoming sort of their paymaster, Peter Thiel, is well, a sort of anti-liberal. Greenwald is another one of them. Greenwald, I mean, just constantly, 100%. just hundred yeah. percent. His he has politics because he's an old school like Gen X libertarian or whatever. Right. But fundamentally, what is his political program? Is attacking and pillorying and critiquing liberals, which Fuck all it. well and good. I sometimes I even agree with him on yeah, some no, of the stuff. I, you know, it's, it's thing. but but in terms, and this is what I think is interesting and why we should talk about it and we should keep thinking and looking at it is that they seem like they're in search for some of in search of some sort of positive program. The American, this faction of the American right, one that was they got glimpses of in 2016 when Trump just obliterates all the other Republicans comes in on this like wackadoodle platform of bizarre nationalist populism and very incoherent sort of policy positions, but with like an economic nationalist element to it, saying he's not going to cut social programs or whatever. I think that for people uh, in this right and on the right in general, uh, signaled to them that something had to give and that there was maybe a solution out there. But now, six years later, I think they're still trying to put the muscle on the skeleton of Trumpism. They're trying to figure out, like, what is the actual backbone to Trumpism? How do we turn this sort of like inchoate, confusing, contradictory sort of political parox- paroxysm that happens in 2016? How do we put and I don't, and they don't agree on that. You get that from the article, too. They don't agree. They agree on the critique, but they haven't decided whether they're doing tradcath, like Francoist, I don't know, like impose the Catholic Church on on people in um, in Oakland, California or whatever, or whether they're doing monarchism all of a sudden or they're doing like neo feudal tech lords run the country like it's a it's a company and I think that that's a CEO. That is partially what they want. I feel like it's it's kind of what we were talking about, Woods. Like, I've kind of been thinking about it lately. Like, okay, if the origin of capitalism comes out of a sort of transformation in property relations, it means that, like, history could hinge on the pit, like, a pivot, a major pivot could be this question of how to extract surplus by various means. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, is till like are some of these people on the right sort of now thinking about cap like the sort of like coming crisis of i don't know volatile environments and um you know political mobilization and agitation based off of i don't know the internet honestly this is probably a lot of what it is just so much of it's an internet it's an internet movement you look at all these people and they're all fucking posters man jd dance included Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I know Peter, we know Peter Thiel has like an elaborate multi-million dollar bunker in New Zealand. Like Um, these people, I think the tech overlords have a vision of the future. And I think that that's an interesting thing. Like, I think it's very bleak and very bad Um, in a way that I don't feel like the Koch brothers had to or needed to. I feel like the Koch brothers and like Peter Thiel is now like the, the newest like right-wing figure who like funds these causes but like when we were coming up it was like the Koch brothers <laughs> back when i was a kid it was the Koch brothers they funded alec and they destroyed acorn <laughs> okay <laughs> grandpa go to bed <laughs> that's our lore like that's yeah. what we <laughs> Oh, those halcyon days when it was just simply like paper and oil executives doing libertarianism. 
uh-huh. like and right. pointing to 1776 now we got fucking like tech overlords putting money into like catholic integralism trying to bring like mm. Rene gerard and a bunch of like weird 20th century dead ender like post-fascist back uh back into yeah. power i think that like honestly what they want is i i honestly think they want another revolution in property relations where they say that you don't even have personal property anymore like that is why all of us you know that's why i think like maybe that's what till wants like it, because that does create a kind of neo-feudal capital rentier society where like right if you don't own even your personal items anymore and you're having to kick up constantly on all of those things, even your own fucking health and shit. Like, I mean, at a certain point, like something is fundamentally shifted. Something's changed in our property relation in social relations. I feel like so like yeah, what you yeah. call that like that's I know it's capitalism still, but like it is a sign that there is there is something moving there. And I wonder if Till is kind of trying to capitalize on this. Or- yeah, I, I, I think that's. I think that's important. And I think that like, like what I would say about the the ultimate like cause of the crisis is that um, it's, it's caused by a, a crisis of profitability. You know, capital has reached a barrier that it created for itself. You cannot um, accumulate um, in, in uh, uh, you can't accumulate sufficiently to even like make real on all the fictitious capital that's floating around with all the shit happening and like fintech and all the all the various um debts that exist corporate private public debts that exist right now you've reached like a serious crisis of capitalist production and when that happens uh and when i think this is the key to like understanding from the 70s onwards and this c to m cycle when capital can no longer in the nation state, because, you know, obviously China has been where a lot of the, the industrial production, Southeast Asia in general is gone. But when you no longer have this sort of motor, this dynamic drive of um, capitalist accumulation, revolutionizing the forces of the force of forces of production, uh, you get a stagnant economy. And when you get that capitalists, uh, money lenders, bankers, everybody, investors are forced to make money somehow. They still they have to they have to keep making two, three, four, five percent every year. And then what you do is that's when the vulture capitalists come in, which right. is why Donald Trump is the perfect one because he's yeah. a fucking con artist. He's coming <laughs> in, he's like destroying and tearing down beautiful things and putting up gaudy shit in its place ripping off all his contractors ripping off his customers ripping off his fans uh-huh. he is the perfect kind of capitalist for this era since 2008 and so barring again like this sort of virtuous cycle of capital accumulation of actual value creation through production or whatever you're left with a bunch of capitalists who are seeking rents they're seeking to to offshore whatever they can they're basically like the vital core of social reproduction and life in American society has been ripped out for a long time and it continues to be. So what, so what does that do to a, to the, for the ruling class and their politics and their ideas? The Koch brothers was really, I think, uh, a rearguard action trying to defend for decades uh, the extraction industry in the face of all the evidence that it was destroying the world. That right. Eventually it was going to be a crisis. They fought a rearguard action to try to defend their profits in the face of that. Now, I think maybe as you were pointing to, there's some sort of unhappy consciousness 
to use a Hegelian phrase on the part of the Peter Thiels and the people around them, this segment of capital, this fraction yeah. of the political system, that things, it's not enough to point back to, to 1776, that in fact, like you need to overthrow the existing order. You need right. to replace it with something that will enshrine their power in, in a way that uh, it, it hasn't been done in America. Kind right. of a new world order or something. <laughs> and then you got these fucking hipsters who like ended up getting invited to the National Conservative uh, Conference because of posting. And you've got these yeah. artists who like were so unwoke that they couldn't get funding. So they had to go to like Claremont Institute and Peter Thiel to get their stupid anti-woke filmmaker thing. It then becomes like an aesthetic because yeah. there is, I think, uh, like everybody knows that wokeness like it has become cringe. I mean, right. like the impulse behind it and the actual like relations of exploitation and the racism in the society is real, but wokeness is like very, very uncool right now. Yeah. So this, so this like stupid intellectual movement on the right now, all of a sudden has all these aesthetic hangers on and they're fucking posters and they're podcasters. That's what passes for intellectuals. I suppose <laughs> fucking posters and podcasters. It's the, I mean, it's it's the same on the left in in a lot of ways. But um, it is. the thing is, the major difference is that the left and I was we were talking about this on the show this past week is that like the main difference between us and them is they've they make bank. I'm sure I'm sure they make fucking millions of dollars. Mincius Moldbug, that dude is probably fucking rolling. So rich. Yeah. yeah, it's like. It's like Peter Thiel like funded his whole company for like a hundred million dollars. He just sits on the money now. There's just a lot of money behind the right in general, and there's a lot of money on the liberal left as well. Mm. And that's why, <clears throat> I mean, obviously not just in Hollywood, but I mean like in NGOs and the Democratic Party and everything as well. Um, and the unions, let's be honest. Yeah, oh, and the, the unions, the AFL CIO too. Yeah, yeah. and so um, I mean, hell, dude. Even just this past week, he got buried under all this stuff, like about the Till and Musk trying to take over Twitter and everything. But like, I think it was just this week or like two weeks ago where this reporter in New York magazine has been, I think his name is Sean Thompson. I'm sure you've heard about this. He's been like kind of digging into the finances of Black Lives Matter, like the organization. Mm. And like, so like they published um, that like, there was, you know, there's this video of them going around like the founders on the year anniversary of George Floyd, George Floyd's death, it, like just toasting, toasting to each other and just kicking back and just it's just mm. disgusting. But yeah. then like they had also bought like a, a 30 million dollar mansion somewhere. Or something like yeah, that. Like, money was just that. going. Yeah. Uh, all over the place. Yeah. Um, And it just I don't know. It just is a it's another example. And I and I said this on the show this past week but like i don't see how you could come to the conclusion and i worked in nonprofits. i know how this shit works um like i understand that there's a lot of money in this stuff but i also think that there must be some sort of co-intel operation going there <laughs> like how the fuck do you explain that i don't understand i don't know how you explain like that you've got like we said like I do think that there is some sort of political valence is significant to burning down a police station. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Like, I do think that there's something that's significant there. I listened to you guys episode with, uh, oh, uh, what was her name from the platypus? Um, uh, Hey, good. Uh, Aaron. Hey, good. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
and y'all had an interesting discussion about it. I thought that was interesting. But yeah. I do think that there ultimately there is something interesting. I think that there is something significant about that. I think it, it was a, a, an expression of genuine working class frustration and being pushed to the fucking limit. Um, and I do. And I think that that's interesting. Reading this article is this is what everybody's all about. This is what they want. Like they want the, you know, the venerated working class. Finally, <laughs> like, tell us what to do. Like, you know what I mean? Like right. drive history. But like. They themselves have participated in the processes of the working class's disorganization. Yeah, so like they can never fully connect there. There will never be a connection there. Yeah, um, so I don't and, know. And, and also too, like um, fundamentally, their their view of class is um, is one. I think the technical term is producerism. Yeah. So they believe that there is a certain unity, social unity, national unity cultural unity between small producers, even big producers, big capitalists, right. nationally oriented capitalists on the one hand, then like the broad swath of like blue collar productive worker working class. <laughs> this is like, this is their, what they imagine is a class alliance uh, between yeah. these two groups against international capital and against like people who work on laptops and post right. things that they don't like. And fundamentally, I think that that's a very unrealistic way to look at the world because I think the way we understand it, of course, is that there are sort of uh, structural contradictions between the uh, business owners on the one hand and the workers on the other. Yeah. And that no matter of like woke baiting people is going to unite them. How, right. how does social change happen? I mean, I think that our our vision of social change is is more per, uh, persuasive. Ultimately, what we rely on, um, or at least what what I rely on, and when I theorize and think about this stuff, is is that um, capital, this system, this cathedral that we live in, uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't generate per se like specific class coded cultural forms in a way that's particularly relevant to struggle. Uh, what it does create ultimately are um, frisions and fractions within the labor process itself uh, through a process of exploitation that will always, as long as you have a capital labor relationship, uh, lead to um, struggle, class struggle. So what we propose is that the audience for what we're talking about already exists and the process by which those people could be united to fight for a political project is one that um, is discernible throughout history, has been seen many, many times before, and that is ultimately one that's based on the material self-interests of the vast majority of humanity against the vast minority of humanity who controls right. our means to make and remake ourselves as humans. So I just, uh, I mean, they're they're looking for cultural ways to unite. They see the the political economy of these things in very instrumental terms. They don't they 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 see the working class as um, a constituency for themselves, but not as uh, a social force with agency of its own, right? Its own agency with its own ability to act, and that will ultimately be their undoing. Because I assure you. Because I am a carpenter and I go down to the job site every day and I talk shit, you know, and whatever. If some fucking dweeb from post left Twitter went down to the job site, they'd have just a hard time convincing them of tradcath integralism, um, capitalism with uh, Thiel Buck's uh, characteristics 
uh, as I would just running down there and yelling about communism. All right. 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 Then right. Your constituency isn't there. Do people hate? Do many people hate wokeness? They sure do. Are you going to create an entire political movement that's based around that? Ultimately, I don't think so. I, yeah. I just can't see it. It's like, yeah, I think you're right. The vast majority of people just, uh, I mean, the vast majority, a lot of the people, I don't say the vast majority. I don't fucking know. I, all I can know is like my own experience and what little I've read every now and then. Just growing up in a oil town, growing up working class, but watching my dad over the course of my life, sort of become a, like a class trader and kind of become mm. a manager mm -hmm. of a small business. And then moving to a large city and seeing how people in large cities talk about people in smaller cities. Oh, yeah. Like these kind of like intersecting experiences have I, given me a perspective that I think is someone outside of the norm in a lot of what's the left and these people on the right. Um, and so I would say a lot of people that I know just have a kind of, I don't even want to say ironic, but a kind of detachment from it all. Mm. They just sort of resign. Just like, hey, did you see this? Like I talk to my brother all the time. Who's not really political or anything. Like is, is trying to be a welder. It's just like, like he, you know, just reads a lot of stuff on Reddit and just like, I don't know. Sometimes he says conservative things. Sometimes he says the things that I'm like, wow, this is like very shockingly, you know, leftist. And my mom's the same way. She's a teacher. So it's like, that's I just kind of most people. That's, that's, yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, most yeah. people. I feel it's like, a, it's like a grab bag of, of various like sentiments and, and strongly held beliefs that people have, but they don't line up necessarily with right. left or right, which is why, again, I think that um, that our vision of social change and, and and who the actors might be in that is more persuasive because um, ultimately, for all the reasons we talked about in the main and through this, uh, the state, the American state, is um, delegitimized for yeah. so many, for the majority Definitely. of people. There's they're <laughs> depoliticized because they've seen they've seen the last thirty years. They fucking uh -huh. lived through it. And so you want to create um, like an anti-woke, anti-liberal movement to, to just punish Disney or whatever woke capitalists and put the PMC laptop people in their place. Real change is not going to happen through the ballot box. Um, right. And to the extent that these people have shock troops, that the Chris Rufos of the world have shock troops, they've been able to get like fellow middle class people to like get up in teachers faces and give them shit. This is all like, again, there's like a democracy for the middle class in this country. What perhaps social change would have to look like in this country is when your brother, you know, when all the other people who are um, learning to weld and have contradictory um, political beliefs, but have a lot of anger. I mean, I'm on the job all the time. People have a righteous anger for their quality of life, for their health care, for the prices of things going up, for the way the bosses treat them, for the fact that there's no fucking political option whatsoever. If change is going to happen, it's going to be because the angel of history arises and people start to act outside of the political frames that these middle class people want them to work within. Uh, and they're going to start taking matters into their own hands. And you've yeah. seen that a little bit already with the Amazon stuff, with the yeah. teacher strikes that we've seen. Um, you've seen it in the, the recent strike wave. I think you've seen in the great resignation. When change comes, it's not going to be because uh, some dingus named like 
I don't know, um, FrancoFan69 on Twitter um, convinces enough people to vote for J.D. Vance. Uh, it's ultimately going to come from, I think, direct action and self-organization, which we've seen in the United States recently, a lot of, and we've seen all over the world as there's been these mass populist reactions mm-hmm. uh, for the last 12, 13 years yeah. uh, to austerity, you know, and to things as they are. So, yeah, that's why I, I, um, I, yeah, I don't care if, you know, AOC, I don't, you know, AOC is probably at this point pretty cringe and discredited, but yeah. I feel like if she decided to run, people would try to make it a Bernie thing. It was, I personally, you know, no offense or anything just would not be interested it's um it's as you said it's uh it's well i don't know maybe it could bring contradictions to the fore that that would be useful it doesn't really seem to me i feel like at this point it's not up to us regardless yeah you know if if this like bernie aoc wing the squad right there's nothing that we can do about it (laughs) Well, we'll just, you know, until, until there's, until there's anything we could do about it, until there's like yeah. something bigger than ourselves in order for us to immerse ourselves into, the- we're all just sitting here, unfortunately, yeah. like these people we're talking about kind of theorizing about the world and making grand plans for something that right. uh, hasn't happened yet. The, the Rufo thing is interesting though. I do have to say, and you know, we could probably start wrapping this up, but yeah, sure. it is interesting that, um, you said that he's got shock troops like these people are, I would say they're closer to like terrorists at this point. Like they really do like wreak havoc on people's lives mm-hmm. and they like for they're forcing these kind of very, um, I don't know. Like, so, like I said, my mom's a teacher. Um, let me plug my computer in real fast. Yeah, yeah. My shit's about to die. Well, that would be bad. Two hours in and we lose the episode. Lose the entire thing. It'd be pretty funny. It's happened before. It's happened before, but not this time. It's happened. Never again. Um, but like my mom's a teacher and she's like like she she's 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 like conservative. She voted for Trump in 2016. And I don't think she voted in 2020. She was kind of like disillusioned with it all, but like she's conservative and a Christian and everything. But like these Rufo people, like them getting people to come and tell teachers what they can and can't teach is creating a lot of goddamn like agitation. I feel like in this country and, Mm -hmm. um, and it's in, in some ways it's kind of, it feels like the conservatives are kind of overplaying their hand in that regard. Mm-hmm. Like, like in some ways that would be a kind of like natural constituency or nat- <laughs> sort of like natural political base for them. Like the teachers. Yeah. Uh, but like, but they, but because they're trying to do this, they're like, uh, they're getting all of these, I don't know, civil servants and other people, uh, to you know oppose them that they would normally have supporting them mostly because i just don't think people like to be told how to do their fucking job for yeah. sure people don't like to be yelled at in their faces people don't like yeah. um grandstanding and yeah, threatening yeah. people at their jobs i i get the same sense i mean like um this disillusionment of like the of the 2016 trump voter the kind of um maybe even a, a similar sort of desperation to do something like we saw with um, the forces of uh, the vital center with Ukraine, 
maybe there's some desperation to this latest culture war. Maybe there's, they're kind of overshooting the mark a little bit. Yeah. Cause really what it's, it's interesting the way that it, the Chris Russo Rufo thing, Manhattan Institute, Christopher Rufo thing is shaking out is that it really is just another way to try to um, get vouchers and uh, charter schools and eliminate public education in this country. But instead of it being like backdoored silently through legislation or like creating new institutions, instead now it's turned into a form of direct action, which Dude. is interesting Dude. to see the right start to take up direct action. These people came after Tanya. I mean, did you see all that? Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I was never even I wasn't even able to determine if it was like a widely known thing on left Twitter or what um, they uh, Christopher Rufo. So she runs this like sex ed program for mm -hmm. like the local for like local kids. She wasn't going into schools or anything. I think it was like an after school thing. Never really my thing. But, you know, uh, Tanya's got her things and I've got mine. And um, she was um, they had this like agenda for the programs that they were teaching and like the Christopher Rufo guy. I don't know how the fuck he did did it. I don't know if he just knew where to look. I don't know if they searched things on Google because this was all on their website. Mm -hmm. um, he like published it and then they found this video of Tanya saying like talking about i don't know like how like kids masturbate and everything i know that sounds really bad but you know what i mean like it is i, true. I took sex ed in the 1990s and it was very unpolitical it was yeah it's yeah. just like a sex positive thing you know what i yeah, mean sure but like they they uh this it got like blown up like they took a clip of tanya and put it in like a ron DeSantis attack attack ad in florida wow and then really? she was on laura ingraham they they covered this on laura ingraham or oh whatever. my god um and uh it's just like people um uh, are insane like they like death threats obviously and stuff but yeah. like they even called our city hall like tons and tons of people called like flooded our fucking city hall with like calls and so this became like a big community thing and suddenly people are are arguing and having conversations about this too at a at a sort of local level it's a very weird thing man like these are they are shock troops. They, that's what they are. They really yeah. go out there and they like fucking push people. You know what I mean? To yeah. and I understand. I mean, I guess to them that's the same thing as like when we like march, like when they see like a, a sign that says Black Lives Matter. It is such right. a traumatic thing to them. Yeah. They're like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it used to be like protesting in front of abortion clinics. You know, uh -huh. that was always a thing. But now it's like everybody's a fucking groomer. Like yeah, I, that's that's where this came from. This, I feel like this started with the Tanya thing, like the groomer discourse. It was Tanya for like two weeks and then they went to Disney and like her uh, shit got immediately. Uh, she's as big as Disney. That's she's as good big for as, her. Yeah. Well, I hope she she came out of that. OK, it sounds like a harrowing and shitty experience. I mean, what like. What percentage of the population does this shit animate? I mean, that's why, like the the oh, culture yeah. war, and, and I'll and I'll blame the progressives for this too because it takes two to tango. But like, how long can they keep up this culture war? It's it's like um, back and forth. Yeah. Um, so like everything's rotting 
you know, at the center, everything politically, as we said, is delegitimized and people like your mother not even voting, you know, and right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, who had been an enthusiastic person for change under Trump. I have plenty right. of my relatives. Same same thing. Um, meanwhile, you know, the infrastructure of this country continues to crumble uh, rents uh, on. I was at a union meeting last night. My union, which is very well established over 100 years, is going to have to move out of the building because their rent is going too high. They've been in this place since the 1970s and the rents being raised like twenty thousand dollars this year. Holy um, fucking shit. And you talk to people, you know, I'll go out to, to Long Island or Queens and I'll talk to relatives who are out there and they're trying to buy starter homes or whatever uh-huh. up by by BlackRock, like all right. cash over like forty forty thousand dollars over asking price and they can't find houses people are being squeezed in all sorts of way the inflation you know obviously and yet these people i guess in lieu of like a positive program a basket of like even wingnut economic strategies are double downing, doubling down on this culture war stuff. And it seems like to me that that could only ever really animate like the 20% of like hardcore woke libs and uh-huh. the 20% of hardcore anti-woke conservatives. Yeah. And so this intellectual movement that we're supposed to think is like big and it is, you know, it represents something or whatever is like part and parcel of that. It's part and parcel of this like, middle class on middle class or like intra PMC culture war Mm -hmm. happening right now, both of which are like, both of which don't really have an adequate. um, So like theory of social change or a constituency that can break this fucking deadlock, you know, with when, when Biden got elected, all the libs finally like just went to sleep or whatever and are coasting by. Meanwhile, like a rabid, uh, one fifth of the American population is out for fucking blood. And then when Trump or DeSantis is in office, they'll do the fucking same thing. Right. And meanwhile, I just have this continuing slow, chaotic decline mm. of, uh, of American life and American power. So I just wonder how long it can last for. Maybe yeah, it lasts for the rest of our lives. Who fucking knows? Speaking of BlackRock, have you heard that song by dirt by Jordan Davis and Luke Bryan? No. It's like, it's really banal. It's honestly, it's just about like uh, buying land. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, that's, uh, that's it's a, a massive. It's a massively popular song on country music radio and like CMT and shit right now. I think we're going to use that to play this out with. Yeah, I think that's only yeah. appropriate that you send me that track and we'll make I'll, sure I'll that Andy puts it. <laughs> I'll send it to you. I kind of feel like it might have been like a Black Rock type ad campaign or something oh, like a you know what i mean like some <laughs> yeah sort of subliminal thing like some sort of the same sort of cointel or uh co- counterinsurgency tactics that they did yeah. to black lives matter they're doing within country music now. <laughs> i wouldn't put it past them i wouldn't put it past them oh i'll say that to you do you think here's the last thing before we sign off you think jd vance is gonna win and if so what would that be like oh dude well, this kind of gets at that question or this issue you were talking about earlier. Like, is the is the political state even capable of doing anything? Like, everybody's basically delegitimized it. Everybody kind of acknowledges that it's it can't obviously can't help us through a pandemic. It's not going to help us in any. Right. I guess there were some drips and drabs here when they gave us like a couple thousand dollars, which was really fucking. Yeah, funny. but they but but the like the 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 ruling class in every 
core capitalist country did the same thing. Right. That was just like what what it, what there was to do to try to keep the economies afloat. I don't think it was it certainly wasn't anything particularly unique to American politics, but right. Yeah. So like I don't know if um like the the US state is like just completely incapable of doing anything. If so, then I guess it doesn't really matter whether JD Vance becomes a senator or not. True. Like, I guess yeah. It's like Josh Hawley's a senator, right? Like yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, but I do think <laughs> this is really dark. Um, uh, but if you'll just, you know, entertain me here for a minute. Sure, of course. I do think that like just because everything is stupider and stupider, like everything <laughs> gets stupider on more stupider terms over time it sure. would kind of be for morbidly funny at least to people three or four hundred <laughs> years in the future if jd vance was the next hitler and hillbilly <laughs> elegy was his mind comp <laughs> <laughs> and they gotta like oh, yeah. talk about it in school like this is the book he wrote <laughs> He laid out his master plan. He laid plan. out his master plan. <laughs> I like that idea. I like that. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> I am President JD Vance. <laughs> what oh, would his man. political? What would what would like the 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 struggle even be within that? It, it's all about like meritocracy and rising out of your shitty family and hating all the podunk people in your old town. And yet he's now a populist. So apparently, right, 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 him right. hating all the people in the small rural town that he comes from equips him <laughs> to be the new national populist leader in america you're right this shit gets stupider and stupider it's just stupider just, man oh my god so well we 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 really did it we had a, a great conversation man this is always a pleasure it's been apparently two years since yeah. uh we've been together on the show if you ever want like a yankee metropolitan like myself on trillbillies i would love to come yeah. and chat with you guys uh we will make sure it's not two years before you're back again all right all right you know uh but if it is we can make it like our own midterms thing we call the terrence, yeah. and, the terrence and sean midterms and invariably as we said things will get more clownish and trash and yes trash. definitely We'll work it out, though. All right. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having right. me. Peace out. Peace out. So grab yourself a spot and settle down a while. Because it's getting hard to think. And my clothes are starting to shrink. Try to make it last The past